Hey, Not Past It listeners, we're back with another historical domino effect. That's where we travel through time and see how one moment in history topples over a string of events, bringing us to unexpected places. And in today's episode, we're hitting the field and the stage, revisiting a halftime show that revealed a lot more than it bargained for. Oh my God. Oh my God. The audacity. From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. I'm Simone Palanen. On February 1st, 2004, 19 years ago this week, Americans witnessed live on television a Super Bowl mishap that would impact our culture and our media consumption to this day. So put on your jersey, grab some nachos, and gather around the TV. The dominoes are all lined up, and we'll tackle the first one after the break. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Try Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost, built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, incredible load times, and 24-7 WordPress priority support, your sites will be lightning fast with global reach. And with Bluehost Cloud, your sites can handle surges in traffic no matter how big. Plus, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. Get started now at Bluehost.com. All right. I am very excited to introduce you to today's guest, a podcast legend. He currently hosts Intuit, a culture podcast from Vulture, and co-hosts Vibe Check, a podcast from Stitcher. It is the one and only Sam Sanders. Welcome, Sam. Hi. It is so good to be here. And can I start by saying the episode you did Oh my gosh! about the iconic Patti LaBelle one of my favorite pieces of audio of all time. Wow. Thank you for the public service work you do on this show. I'm a very big fan. Big Thank fan. you, Sam. That is <laughs> yeah. very kind. Now, today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl, just because, you know, it's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, do you do anything for the Super Bowl? Is this, you know, something that you celebrate in your life? I've never too much cared about the game, but I'll watch every halftime show and have notes. And right now, I'm in that moment where I'm just like really kind of scared about the Rihanna halftime show. I love Rihanna. I love everything she does. But uh, she hasn't made music or danced on a stage in several years. <laughs> and I've been hearing rumors that she's like showing up to halftime show rehearsal 
either late or not at all. Mm-mm. And I'm like, Riri, you better get this show together. You better learn those steps because uh, it's a big stage. Yeah. Um, well, you know, there's a lot of um, interesting history associated with the Super Bowl that we will get into today. All right. But our domino journey is going to start at a time uh, pre-Super Bowl when Sundays were just Sundays, if you can imagine such a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 1939. We're coming out of the Great Depression and people are looking for the promise of something more. And that brings us to Queens, New York, host of the 1939 World's Fair. Um, and there's like, you know, a ton of fanfare. There's bands marching down the streets. There's folk dancing, people selling ice cream. Um, and that year, the fair's theme was the world of tomorrow. So you could uh, visit exhibits showing off emerging technologies like air conditioning. You could dial a free long distance phone call. Oh. oh very exciting. Yeah. Uh, but there was one new technology that people were really going wild for. Do you have any guesses as to what that was? A technology in 1939. Mm-hmm. Give me a hint. Um, has to do with uh, entertainment. Uh, it was a tech thing. Yeah. Gonna, uh, yeah, uh, uh, oh, uh, 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 uh. We already have films with sound by that point. Color? Were they doing things in color for the first time? I'm, I'm going to give you the answer. <laughs> Sorry. I, really <laughs> I feel tried. like you're, you're zeroing in on it. But it was the television. Oh, that was that early. Yeah, pretty early. Oh, wow. And it is that early television that will bring us to domino number one. We're starting our domino journey in the Hall of Televisions at the World's Fair in 1939. And that year, the Radio Corporation of America, or RCA, they were showing off their new television sets. Um, And among them was the first line of TVs available for sale to the public. And there, RCA President David Sarnoff was, you know, selling audiences on the future of the moving image. And we actually have a clip of that. Okay. It is an art which shines like a torch of hope in a troubled world. It is a creative force which we must learn to utilize for the benefit of all mankind. Not calling television a torch of hope. Yeah. Have you watched reality TV? (laughs) Have you watched reality TV? (laughs) That's funny. LOL. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> big sell at the top of uh, of the invention. A big sell. Yeah. Big sell. Yeah. Um so you know, he had this very grand vision for what TV could do. Um mm-hmm. and uh, I want to show you what some of those early models looked like, but before I do, I'm curious, do you remember what your first family television looked like? Kind of. I remember yes. There was a ginormous Magnavox big screen TV that was probably like two or three feet deep. (laughs) And I remember my brother and I playing Sega Genesis on that thing for hours at a time to where the TV would get so hot, we'd have to like stop for a second. Probably was like 100 pounds at least. Mm -hmm. It was massive. Yeah. Well, if you think that was uh, less than ideal, this was a model that RCA was selling at the time. Uh, Can you describe what you're looking at? Why is the screen the smallest part? It looks like a big old record player, like a big old phonograph that sits on like a kitchen table or something. And what seems to be the screen part of it 
is maybe less than a quarter of the actual device. Mm-hmm. Why is it so small? <laughs> this big chunky box with these dials and then a tiny screen. Huh. The screen size, by the way, it's like just around five inches. So like Wait. basically like a smartphone screen. This is so wow. That's wild. Yeah. And I don't know if you can see there, but the sound is also comes from a separate device. So you had like oh, these two devices. The yeah. Ridiculous. You had like a separate radio for sound. Huh. Um so, you know, in the Hall of Televisions, RCA is trying to sell this new medium to the public. Uh, but the big question was, you know, we have this new technology, but what do we put on this teeny tiny little screen uh, that people would be excited to watch? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm curious, what would you put on TV if you were tasked with like trying to figure this out? I would just do a bunch of variety shows. Get cute, famous people who can sing and dance, singing and dancing. Ugh. What else do I want? Were they doing that? Please say I they were doing that. I love that. That sounds way better than what they went with, <laughs> uh, in my opinion. Uh, What'd they go with? They went with good old football, baby. Oh, you know, I guess I get it. I get it. Yeah. Makes sense. That tracks. All American, you know. I'm more of a halftime show girly myself than the actual game. You know, that's just me. Uh, So this was the first time pro football was broadcast live on TV. Uh, It was the Philadelphia Eagles playing against the Brooklyn Dodgers, not to be confused with the baseball Dodgers. And I would imagine it would have been pretty exciting to watch, you know, especially if you've never really seen images moving on screens. It's remarkable. It's magic, right? Yeah. Um, However, it became pretty clear pretty quickly that this broadcast machine wasn't very well oiled yet. Hmm. The cameras that they used to film the game were so sensitive to light changes that when a cloud passed over the field, the TV screens at the World's Fair would go dark. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah. So, still working out a few kinks, you know? Obviously, yeah. But then, after World War II, the technology improved, it got cheaper, and in the 1950s, TVs were quickly becoming a common household fixture. So the big three uh, TV networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS, they were like, hey, we can make a ton of money on this. In 1958, a televised NFL championship game between the Baltimore Colts and the New York Giants was watched by 45 million people. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. And you know, when you get that kind of money rolling in, it's not long before more people try to start cashing in on it. And that's going to bring us to domino number two. All right. Enter a fella by the name of Lamar Hunt. Okay, who is he? He had been a football player in college. Uh, He wasn't quite pro level, though. But the more important fact was that he was the son of a Texas oil tycoon. Mm. And he was like, you know what? I can't play football, so why not own football? Hey, hey. So in 1959, 26-year-old Lamar Hunt approaches the National Football League, a.k.a. the NFL, the main pro football league. Um, And he's like, I want to start a team in Dallas, Texas. The league executives are like, "Mm, no, you can't do that. So Lamar's like, you know what? I'll do my own thing then. Mm -hmm. So he gathers up a bunch of other sort of rich franchise hopefuls and proposes that they start their own rival league called the American Football League or the AFL. AFL, okay. Yeah, those guys. 
Uh, and I will say this, the NFL was not happy about having this new competition. Mm-hmm. Um, they would get into these bidding wars with the AFL over recruiting the best uh, college talent. Yeah. So that caused player salaries to skyrocket. Um, a little football inflation, if you will. Hey, I see what you did there. <laughs> I see what you did there, and I like I was wondering it. if you were going to notice that one. <laughs> I got it. Uh, Good job. Kudos. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, so in the end, though, the NFL and the AFL called a truce, and in 1966, they announced their decision to merge. Now, one of the main things that came out of this merger was that at the end of the season, one team from each league would duke it out on the field in the AFL-NFL World Championship game. AKA the Super Bowl? Uh-huh. Is that what you're, you're following uh-huh. yeah, yeah, You know where we're going with okay. this. Uh-huh. Uh, and that brings us to domino number three. Now, the name the Super Bowl, that actually came from none other than Lamar Hunt himself. Good old Lamar. He knows what he's doing. Sure does. Um, I would be shocked if you got this next question right. But so would I. But can you guess <laughs> why he named it the Super Bowl? A bowl was involved in some capacity. <laughs> pretty good pretty good guess. <laughs> Going to be either Super or Bowl, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It was actually inspired by uh, one of his kids' toys, huh. this popular toy from the 60s called the Super Ball. I'm looking this up. Super Ball toy 60s. Hold on. <laughs> It's just a ball. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bouncy ball. Yeah. Okay. Marketing is a crazy thing. (laughs) Sure is. Sure is. (laughs) Now, Sam, much like the Super Bowl, this episode is divided into two halves, which means we have reached our halftime. But when we get back, we're going to learn about the birth of the Super Bowl halftime show and the ripple effect it had on pop culture and beyond. I love it. Ready? Break! This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back and ready for kickoff. We're here with host of the podcast Intuit and co-host of Vibe Check, Sam Sanders. Hi. And Sam, maybe you could start us off with a little play-by-play of the first half. Oh, we talked about the history and creation of modern television, which became a thing at the World's Fair in Queens in 1939. At the World's Fair, they're showing a TV broadcast, which is 
the like first ever broadcast of a professional football game. After that, we see the television become ascendant in American culture, and we see the Super Bowl come to be in the television consciousness. Does that, does that work? That was so beautiful. Thank Nailed you. it. Thank you, thank you. Um, Appreciate <laughs> it. Touchdown, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah, so we left off in the middle of our third domino with the birth of the first Super Bowl, and by extension, mm-hmm. our first Super Bowl halftime show. Which, if I recall correctly, was like just like a marching band, right? Oh, sounds like you know a little bit about this first show. <laughs> um, marching bands will... Uh, Yes, make an appearance. Uh, that is true. So it's January 1967 at Memorial Coliseum in Los Angeles. Um, at the end of the first half, one team is ahead, one team is behind, blah, blah, blah. And the halftime show is about to begin. Now, you mentioned marching bands. Yeah. They were definitely featured. But alongside the marching band, uh, they also released 300 pigeons into the sky. Jesus. Um, uh, Why? That's 300, that's 300 pigeons possibly crapping over the crowd at the game. Don't worry, it wasn't just marching bands and pigeons. They also <laughs> released 10,000 balloons. Cute. Um, but the highlight of the show were a pair of rocket men who soared above the field strapped to jetpacks. How high up did they get in the air? Like, pretty high up. I'd be really scared to be one of those rocket men. Um, Now, over the next several years, the NFL got more popular and evolved into the powerhouse we know today. And while the league continued to grow in popularity, unfortunately, I can't say the same thing about the halftime shows. It stayed pretty rinky-dink for a while. (laughs) Um, Yeah. They would book, like, you know, fading stars, Disney characters. They had the Rockettes. They had an Elvis impersonator. Wait, an impersonator? Not a, yeah. Oh, come on. That's <laughs> yeah, sad. an Elvis impersonator. But uh, there's one show in particular I want to dive into, and that is the 1992 halftime show. The theme was Winter Magic. Who? Oh, my. Ugh. That sounds like a really bad prom theme from high school. Uh, <laughs> Winter magic. Ugh. Wait, I'm Googling this. There were figure skaters on the field? Yes. They had Girl. Olympic figure skaters <laughs> um, skating around, but on these like tiny little patches of ice. I'm it's... pulling up the clip. This is some campy shit. It really <gasps> Some is. of the dancers are dressed like snowflakes. <laughs> Girl. Yeah. I cannot wait to share this video with several of my group chats. Oh, my God. (laughs) You've blessed me. You've blessed me. Um, I'm glad you're getting a lot of entertainment factor out of it. Uh, Can't say the same about the 1992 Super Bowl audience. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I love this part of the story. So Fox saw this. This was before they were a partner to the NFL, when they were still, you know, an emerging network. Um, And they saw an opportunity to steal viewers. And during that same time slot, Fox set up its own counter-programming. Oh, shady. Which was a special Super Bowl-themed episode of the comedy sketch show In Living Color. Oh, that's so much better. Yeah. Also, how did I not know that that happened? Because it's funny, growing up, my mother would not let my brother and I watch anything adult-themed. But she was always like, 
no. And Living Color is a big piece of black culture y'all can watch. So I was a little bitty kid watching that raunchy, raunchy sketch show and loving it. But I did not remember or recall that there was an In Living Color halftime show. Mm -hmm. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. Was it good? Yeah, I mean, it was really successful. And, um, you know, they really kind of leaned into the, you know, we're stealing the audience thing. Yeah. Um, Good for them. They do this great thing. So, you know, if you were a viewer and you were worried about missing the start of the second half, Fox had your back. That's where this comes in. Our Super Bowl countdown clock. It'll be coming on later in the show to let you know when to switch back to the second half. You won't miss any of the senseless brutality. <laughs> is that Jim Carrey? It sure is. That's a young Jim Carrey. I love it. Also, we should just stop right now to say, for those who don't know, go back and watch In Living Color. That show in its prime was three times better than SNL, and it gave us so many great stars. It gave us all of the weigh-ins. It gave us Jim Carrey. It gave us David Allen Greer. It gave us Jamie Foxx. It, it, everybody came through that show. It was like all the black excellence you know and love right now came from that show. Yeah, a platform that launched a million stars. Anywho. So um, the In Living Color special was a hit, uh, and the Super Bowl halftime show reportedly lost millions of viewers that year. Oh, wow. So it worked. It sure did, yeah. Okay. Um, and the following year, uh, the host network NBC was determined not to make the same mistake. Like, we cannot lose millions of people at halftime. Yeah, yeah. We need to put on a show that people won't want to turn away from. A show within a show. So the following year, in 1993, it's Super Bowl twenty-seven, and the halftime show is about to begin. On one end of the field, way above the Jumbotron, sparks fly, followed by a puff of smoke. And then boom, seemingly out of nowhere, a performer pops up on top of the Jumbotron. Who is it? But wait. Who is it? Is that really them? Because on the other end of the field, on top of another giant screen, there's more sparks, more smoke, and boom, another person dressed in the exact same outfit pops up. And then before you could wonder what the heck is going on, from center stage in the middle of the field, yet another person is launched into the air in a dazzle of pyrotechnics. They land confidently, feet planted on the stage, frozen in pose, and the crowd goes wild, cheering for nearly two minutes straight. Was it Michael Jackson? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was like, like, I was going to do all this build up, but yeah. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> who could do that? Who, who could get like two minutes of applause in 93? And it was Michael. It was okay. Michael, king of pop himself. Michael Jackson is a problem. We know this. <laughs> But that man could move on a stage. Wow. I mean, yeah, I mean, come on. Just, man, that man had the gift. Now, at this point in his career, Michael had already won 12 Grammys. He had already redefined the music video with Thriller. Um, and he was in the midst of a world tour for his new album, Dangerous. And Michael's performance reportedly had more eyes on it than the game's first half. Listen, I believe that fully. Mm-hmm. Fully and completely. Wow. So quite a dramatic change from Winter Magic uh, from mm, the year prior. Totally. Do you know if they paid Michael for that? Um, they did not pay him. What? So his manager actually asked for a million dollars. And yeah. they were like, we can't do that. But we will donate $100,000 to Michael's foundation. Um, and so he took that deal. 
Huh. Okay. And after Michael, the NFL just really leaned into star power for its halftime shows. Um, in 1996, Diana Ross performed. Yeah. Um, in 98, they had The Temptations and Queen Latifah. What a pairing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, though, like, I want that now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in 2001, NSYNC performed with Aerosmith and a little rising pop star by the name of Britney Jean Spears. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And before long, the halftime show stage would again feature a show from a Jackson and an NSYNC member. And that brings us to domino number four. Um, now, obviously, it's impossible to talk about historic halftime shows without mentioning one in particular. February 1st, 2004, 19 years ago this week. Oh, Janet Jackson. See, I don't like to focus on that one because it wasn't Janet's fault. And, yeah, it wasn't her fault. I blame Justin. But, yes, let's talk about it. The halftime show that broke the world. Yeah. <laughs> At least for a few days. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so after performing her songs All For You and Rhythm Nation, for some reason, Janet Jackson is joined by Justin Timberlake on stage. Who didn't need to be there. I literally don't get it, but he was there. Like, listen. <laughs> um, he was there performing his single uh, Rock Your Body. Which, when you, I mean, compare <laughs> that to freaking Rhythm Nation. Can't even compare. Why is he on the stage? Ugh. Then timed with his closing lyric... Better have you naked by the end of this song. <laughs> Justin tears away a piece of Janet's bustier, exposing her uh, breast. Fireworks go off on mm. stage, and the stadium lights fade out. Um, now, it's estimated that around 100 million people watched the performance on TV that day. Um, did you catch it live? Do you remember? I remember watching the show and just not watching the news afterwards. So I didn't know that Nipplegate was a thing until the next day when everyone was talking about it. And my experience with, with Nipplegate was that, like, if we didn't talk about it, we wouldn't have known. It was such a split second. It was such a flash. What made the story a story was news media showing that split second over and over and over again for days. Yeah. And truly, it, it was a split second. It was literally nine sixteenths of a second. Oh, my God. Like, wow. barely anything. Um, yeah. But like you said, it's the story spends an eternity in uh, the news cycle. Which always pissed me off. It always pissed me off. There's a lot to be pissed off about uh, <laughs> with the situation. Let's take a listen to how some people reacted at the time. A lapse during the halftime show that ended with pop singer Janet Jackson popping out of her costume. I think that people were truly harmed by what she did, especially kids. The thing that stands out in all of this to me is I finally came to understand why TiVo has that quick backup button. Oh my God. Oh my God. The audacity. Yeah, not the most lovely thing to listen to. So. The FCC, actually, um, they got, like, a record number of uh, complaints. Complaints. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, like, more than half a million complaints about indecency. So, America breaks because of Janet Jackson's nipple, I guess. I don't get it. I really don't get it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, unfortunately... Janet is the one who suffers, you know, the brunt of the backlash. Um, her career just takes a huge hit. She's um, 
As we heard, vilified in the media. She's disinvited from the Grammys. Meanwhile, Justin... Didn't he go to those Grammys? He went to the Grammys. He won two awards that year. And on top of that, after Janet's accident, the Super Bowl does not see a female artist headline the halftime show again for another seven years um, until wow. 2011. Wow. And even then, it was Fergie with the Black Eyed Peas, so not even a solo <sighs> performer. Yeah. Well, also fun, not fun fact, sad fact about this, uh, Nipplegate really became the birth of YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, you are one step ahead of me. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Like, get off your phone, dude. (laughs) (laughs) You're just too, you're just too good. Uh, Well, I guess we gotta go to domino number five then. Drum roll, please. Now, one person who'd missed that halftime show was a guy named Javed Kareem. Um, He had left his computer science studies to work at a hot new startup called PayPal, when suddenly one workday, everybody was talking about Janet Jackson at the Super Bowl. And if you were like Javed and missed it live, unless you had a VCR or TiVo, you were kind of shit out of luck. Interestingly enough, by some counts, Janet's wardrobe malfunction had become the all-time most searched topic online, replacing 9-11. Oh my God. America, where are our priorities? (laughs) Yeah, do with that information what you will. Um, And Javed and his tech friends realized, you know, for events like the wardrobe malfunction, you couldn't really find video clips that would help you catch up on what was being talked about. Videos were sort of dispersed across the internet. Um, And when you did find them, they were in so many different video formats, you know, you couldn't just like click and play. So they thought, hey, we should build a site that does that. And on Valentine's Day 2005, they registered a new domain. YouTube. Yes, YouTube. Listen, even in the darkest moment of her career, Janet Jackson gave us one of the most dominant technological advancements of our time, which is YouTube. As far as I'm concerned, the YouTube people owe her a cut of all their profits. Huh. That's what I think. I. That's what I think. I would agree with that. I mean, at least some shares. <laughs> like, come on. Come on. Give her something. Now, obviously, YouTube becomes this huge internet behemoth. And it's very disconcerting to think, you know, this wildly successful platform was inspired by people looking for clips of a woman who'd been unintentionally exposed. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of brings me back to uh, that speech about the invention of television that we heard all the way at the beginning of our journey from RCA President David Sarnoff at the 1939 World's Fair. It is a creative force which we must learn to utilize for the benefit of all mankind. LOL. Now, considering the journey we've just been on, how is it hearing Sarnoff's words now? I mean, it's like the story of all tech, right? Like it starts out and we love it. We think it's going to change the world for the better. And then once it's been around long enough, it strays very far from the better angels of our nature and just becomes demon lands. You know, like (laughs) Facebook started out great hope of technology and now it's a cesspool same with all these platforms so of course tv would follow the same trajectory Mm -hmm. also 
there are no better moral angels of our nature when it comes to TV. We don't want to watch the good shit. We want to watch the bad shit. And that's what we do. <laughs> that's the story of television. The biggest show was always the Super Bowl, a game where we watch people kill each other. And the biggest moment in television history was the indecent and unplanned exposure of a black woman's breast. We like the bad shit. Wow. <laughs> Started to make it real dark. No, but like, I mean it's that is real. What it is. I mean, I think about this, yeah. right? Like, um, we have these high hopes for these new technologies, but as they get adopted by humans, are they just? I don't know. Is it just a reflection of who we are, and we just like have a hard time confronting that? Yeah, it's who we are. That's like, well, of course. <laughs> like, <laughs> nothing gold can stay, baby. Like, it's just gonna become. A reflection of who we are as a culture, which is generally depraved. <laughs> Sorry. Generally depraved. <laughs> wow. Love that for humanity. Um, now, you know, part of the tragedy of Janet's story is not only was she punished for her performance at the Super Bowl, but so many people profited from her pain, including YouTube, this massive company. And I just... I wonder, like, how do we contend with that? I don't contend with it. I kind of just, like, acknowledge that this is a long pattern of American history. When you even think about how you were talking about how Michael Jackson himself was the person who made the celebrity halftime show a thing, you also noted that he wasn't paid for it. And then when you think about Janet Jackson giving birth to the biggest video platform of our time and not getting a dime for it, this is part and parcel of American history. American popular culture takes from black people and doesn't pay them for it. And then that becomes a dominant culture. This is the story of like all of history, you know? Yeah. Listen, it's hard to talk about American history without talking about racism. What was so crazy about the Nipplegate thing is that everyone thought that we had the right to just keep looking at her breast. That's not cool. She obviously didn't want us to see it. It's her breast, right? But we felt as if we had ownership over that moment, ownership over that video, to the extent that, like, these tech bros made a whole company built on the back of that. Like, we have really warped notions of autonomy when it comes to the bodies and work of Black creatives. Mm -hmm. Sorry, don't get me started. That's a whole <laughs> other episode. Well, um, hey, if I could extend the time, I would, but... We have reached our end zone. Oh, uh, and wow. that's good because... <laughs> end zone. <laughs> listen, those are all the football words I know. So <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today, Sam. Thank you. This was delightful. Not Past It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was produced by Nick Del Rose. Next week, we're bringing you an episode from the podcast Conviction, which this season tells the story of a New York rapper and a mysterious discovery that would change the course of his life. The rest of our team are producers Ramoy Phillip and Olivia Briley, and associate producer Laura Newcomb. Jasper Jarecki is our intern. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Katie Feather. Andrea B. Scott is our executive editor. 
Fact-checking by Jane Ackerman, sound design and mixing by Emma Munger, original music by Sax Kicks Ave, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toko Liana by Coco Co, with music supervision by Liz Fulton, technical direction by Zach Schmidt, show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stewart-Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Matt Schiltz. Special thanks to Lydia Polgreen, Abby Ruzica, Dan Behar, Jen Hahn, Emily Wiedemann, Liz Stiles, and Ariel Joseph. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. Click the bell next to the follow button to get notifications for new episodes. And while you're there, hey, why don't you rate us five stars? You can follow me on Twitter, at Simone Polanin. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week. And I'm like, Riri? You better get this show together. You better learn those steps because uh, it's a big stage. Sure is. Wow. Maybe she'll do like a, a live makeup tutorial. She just comes on the stage, a halftime show, and she gives like the quarterback of one of the teams a fresh face beat. I would watch <laughs> that, would that honestly. Amazing. That would be very entertaining. <laughs> 